Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, indeed, we pray, praise you for your provision in our lives, for caring for us and meeting our needs and giving us everything that we need. We look to you as our provider, trusting you that you will give us all that we need in the days to come. And we give back to you from thankful hearts, Lord, asking you to use these, our tithes and our offerings, for your purposes and your glory. Lord, continue to cause our faith to deepen, looking only to you as our provider, knowing that you are faithful and true, and you will carry us to the end. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please remain standing, if you will, and turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, and we'll begin in verse 1 again and read through verse 13. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. God separated the light from darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that he called, or that he gathered together, he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth, and it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, your word that never changes, your word that never passes away, your word that is quick and powerful and sharper than any double-edged sword. Would you today take your word and pierce deeply into our hearts? Open our eyes and give us understanding. Teach us and instruct us through your spirit, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. This is our second week in our study of Genesis, and we took the first two verses last week. We're going to look at verses 3 to 13 today, and next week I'll go ahead and tell you this is only going to be part one. This happens sometimes. I carve things up and think the direction I'm going to go, and then by Friday, sometimes Saturday, I realize there's just too much. The other thing I've realized in the study of Genesis, in terms of the way I prepare, usually going verse by verse, and how Genesis is presented is it's really presented in layers. The first two verses give you this big snapshot of what happened. And then the next section breaks it down into the days of creation, and then things get even more focused on the creation of man and woman. And so we're going to do the same kind of approach in terms of taking things in layers. I was thinking of a metaphor uh, in terms of how to talk about creation. 
And the first thing that came to my mind was a tent, because as you may remember from last week, there's a number of passages that speak to God spreading out the heavens like a tent or give that image of spreading it out. But the problem that I thought of is that many of us don't camp <laughs> um, <laughs> or don't camp anymore. And, and tents are different than they used to be. Yeah, tents are really fancy now. They're not like the uh, old days when you set up poles and, and hung tents on a frame. Now they you know, are, are multi-room. And so Anyway, I thought of a house being a better example because most of us are familiar with house or just a building in general, and we can imagine that fairly easily. And when you think of building a house and what goes in in terms of laying a foundation, building structure, walls, and so forth, uh, you think of all of that being necessary and important, but the point of doing all of that is not to build a structure. The point is to fill the structure. We don't build buildings to leave them empty. We build buildings to fill them. And we see in the days of creation that this is, in, this is what God did. The first three days of creation, what we're going to look at today and next week, is really the building of the house. And the second three days of creation is the filling of that house. And so if that's helpful to keep in mind as we work our way through uh, this study, I'll certainly refer back to the idea of a house, um, but hopefully that will, will, will help us uh, understand and keep it in mind. As I mentioned before, the first two verses in Genesis were really the big picture. God created the heavens and the earth, and now we begin to zero in a little bit in terms of the detail. But one of the things that we need to keep in mind is that the account of creation is not an exhaustive documentary. This is not like turning on the science channel or, or seeing how it was made on whatever channel that comes on. If that show ever comes on through changing the channels, I can't change it. I stop on it because I am, I don't know why, I'm so fascinated. How are toothpicks made? You know, but you never knew how toothpicks were made. If you've not seen that show, then... Check it out sometime. This is The story of creation is not that. We're not given all the details. We're not given the blow by blow. We're still given only kind of a big picture. And yet we are given some details. So while there are some things that are left out, some questions remain. And there are questions that have remained for many eons among many Christians who believe the Bible is true and teach that the Bible is true and yet come to different opinions about the creation account. So I want us to keep that in mind as well. What we do have in Genesis is what God has chosen to reveal and is therefore what we need to know. What we do have is what God has chosen to reveal and therefore what we need to know. Let me mention some foundational truths to keep in mind, and I'm probably going to do this throughout our study in Genesis because there are just some things that we need to be reminded of particularly in our culture and the world in which we live. Foundational truths about the Genesis account that help us remember um, what God has done and ultimately who he is. As we're going to see, the creation account ultimately reveals who God is. It isn't simply a story of our origins. It's really a revelation of the person of God. So let me mention a few things that I want us to keep in mind. First, God did not need any amount of space or time to create the heavens and the earth. God did not need any amount of space or time to create the heavens and the earth. Why? As we saw last week, he created space and time. And as we see today in verse 3, he created light. So he's not bound by these things. 
So even when we observe things and based on those observations are, are led to come to certain conclusions, we can't put God in that box. For example, we see a star, and I don't know the distance of stars. I probably should have looked up some distances. But you know, we see a star that's 15 billion light years away. And our conclusion would be that in order for us to see the light from that star, that time has to be at least 15 billion years old. But God's not limited to that. God could have created the world in such a way that the light, he created light. So light could have already been visible in the same way that he created a full-grown man and a full-grown woman. God is simply not limited by our observation. So it's important we don't throw observation out, but we keep observation under the authority of Scripture and remember that he's not bound in any way by space, time, light, or anything else. The second thing I want us to keep in mind is that God really did make all things. I hope we got that clearly last week, that God really made everything. There wasn't anything that was made that wasn't made by him. He made it all. He made it all out of nothing. And in particular, God created man and woman in his image. This is why we can be heartbroken for crises that happen around the world, even among a religion that we're not a part of. The shooting in Christ's church should break our hearts because people who were created in the image of God were slaughtered unjustly. We were made in the image of God and we're left with an indelible mark of His image in our lives. So we shouldn't ever look down our noses or look down on anyone that comes across our path. He made all things. He made man and woman in His image. In particular, I want to just mention a few things. We're obviously going to get into this a lot deeper when we get to this section, but I just want to mention this, that the New Testament backs up the historicity of Adam and Eve. Let me give a few examples. In the Gospel of Luke, the genealogy of Jesus is traced all the way back to Adam. I won't read the genealogy of Jesus to you this morning, but you can read it later on today, and you'll find that by the time you get to chapter 3 and verse 38, it says, the son of Adam, the son of God. Jesus, his historicity, his true life, his humanity is linked to Adam in the gospel account of Luke. In Matthew, Jesus was teaching on marriage and divorce. And he refers back to Adam and Eve in the very first marriage. Not in some allegorical lesson about allegorical people, but testifying to the historicity of Adam and Eve in his earthly ministry. In Romans 5, Paul compares and contrasts Adam and Jesus, two very real men who brought two very different results. Fall and redemption. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Timothy 2, Jude, there are a number of places that we can go in the New Testament and see them testify to the historicity of the first people, Adam and Eve. The third thing that I want us to keep in mind that is a foundational truth is that the created pattern that God set according to morning and evening, a day, was established for his purpose and for our good. There are certainly questions that remain about how these days worked and were they literal 24-hour days and all of these things that we can still ask questions about. But he set these, this order out. Think about it. To this day, <laughs> we still follow the days of the week, the seven days of the week. It's for our purpose and for our good. Think about the Ten Commandments. 
Number four, the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Bringing in the day into the moral law, the law that never changes, God's perfect law. We're not to work. We're to set it aside. Just like the tithe, you know, God doesn't need our money. God doesn't need our rest. He gives us these things as good gifts that benefit us. Rest and worship. Let me just mention a few things about the benefit of worship. We gather for worship because worship grounds us in truth. Through the means of grace that God's given us that we experience each week, worship reorients our lives and gets us back on track. Do you experience that weekly in worship? Obviously, some weeks are better than others, aren't they? I mean, there's some weeks that we come and everything just falls flat. But that's the purpose. That's why we need to come back. Because the second reason why worship is so important is because it connects us in community and fellowship. We're not to be islands unto ourselves. We're not to be alone in our faith. We need one another. If you think about it, and again, we'll get to this more, but I just want to mention, when God made Adam, he created all the animals, and what did he say? It's not good for man to be alone. Do you know when that was said? It was before the fall. God said it's not good for man to be alone before sin entered the world. So that's not an effect of sin. We were made for fellowship. We were made for community. We need one another. And finally, weekly worship equips us because it strengthens us for the week ahead. We grow faint. We grow tired. We're exhausted physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And so we need to gather for that rejuvenation that comes through the weekly gathering of worship. Let me go back to another way that we see God's hand in creation in terms of a theme. God created order, the pattern of the days of the week that, that, that are beneficial to us also to give us a renewed sense of his mercy toward us. That's what we sang this morning. Great is thy faithfulness. You know, that verse that it comes from that we also read this morning, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. There is a sense of renewal that's built into the created order that God gives us. It reminds us of his faithfulness day in and day out. Every morning that the sun rises, we are reminded of God's abundant mercies toward us in Christ. So these are just some foundational truths that I want us to keep in mind. We'll come back to these at different points when we go in a little bit deeper, but I want us to remember that. Now I want us to begin looking at the text that's before us. And what we're going to do is we're going to give an, kind of get an overview of the text because it was, as I was writing, I know exactly how long I can write before I get past the 30-minute mark. And I was getting like way beyond that. So I knew we needed to break things up. So that's how we're going to approach this is we're going to take a look at the big picture. And then next week we're going to, we're going to dive in a little bit more closely and see how each verse fits together. So there are three themes that I want us to look at in these uh, verses, these 11 verses that we have here. One, God created the world, the universe, all that there is by speech. He spoke and it was. God named things. We're going to see how that demonstrates his sovereignty, as does his creation by speech. 
And God ordered or God structured things. He brought order and structure through the creation that governs our lives. It's for our good and for his purposes. So let's begin. God created by speech. We're going to move quickly uh, through this. I know that time can, moves kind of quickly when we are, are looking at such a big swath of uh, Scripture. Look in verses 3, 6, 9, and 11. All three begin with what? And God said. God spoke and boom, it came into existence. Psalm 33 says, For he spoke and it came to be, he commanded and it stood firm. It's interesting to think about this, that God spoke and it came to existence because we know that God is a spirit and has not a body like us. How does he speak? I would argue that his speech is a means of revelation to us. He speaks not to create necessarily. He could create just by his will. He speaks as a means for revelation to us, to instruct us, to teach us. God's speech is for us to know his will because what God says reveals his will. That is true in creation and it is true in scripture when we come to it. What God says in His Word reveals His will. And the same Word of power that created the universe is the Word that we have in our Bible today. That same Word. We see this in the revelation of God to us in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is called the Word. It's not a coincidence that John's Gospel opens up with the same language. In the beginning... In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. You might notice here that the text goes on, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then in our text today, we see, And God created light. We're going to look at that a little more closely and how that ties together. God spoke everything into existence to reveal to us who he is, the sovereign, almighty creator of all. And he's given us his word to reveal himself to us. So while he could have simply willed things into existence, he chose chose to reveal his will toward us in the spoken word. So that the creation account is more than just our origin. It's more than just our beginning. It is primarily about revealing who God is. We were created not merely to exist. We were created to know, to love, and to worship God. If you don't hear anything else I say today, hear this. Let me say it again. We were created, and God gives you the Genesis of Count creation for this purpose, to know that you were created to know God, to love God, and to worship God. That's why he brought us here. He wasn't lonely. He didn't need a hobby. He brought us into existence for his own glory, that we would know him, love him, and worship him. Additional thing that I want us to notice here when we see, and God said at the beginning of each day of creation, we also see him say, let there be or let the. He gives these orders. And then it's followed up. Look in verse 7 and 9 and 11. And it was so. And it was so. And it was so. That is the power of God's word. When God says, let there be, you can go ahead and follow up with, and it was so. That's what's coming, because that's the power of God's word. We see this in Isaiah 46, where 
Isaiah writes, For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. What God intends to do, He will do. And that is great comfort. It can be scary, especially if you're trying to oppose God, but it can be great, greatly comforting when you face obstacles and difficulties in life, knowing that nothing can thwart the plan of God. So creation was an intentional act of God with purpose, the purpose of which is still carrying on in the world today that he might call and save a people for his own glory, trophies of his grace to shine the light of his love. That's why he made us. God spoke, and it was so. God also named. Look and see that he also demonstrates his sovereignty by naming the things that he created. This may be something that's not clear to us right away. This would have been clear to Moses' hearers because this was a part of ancient thinking in the Near East that giving something a name was an act of sovereign dominion. It's demonstrated in other ancient writings that we can study. But it's not hard for us to imagine because if you think about it, who gets to name give important names? Who gets to name a child? Who gets to name a boat? Who gets to name a street? You know, these things aren't just up, up for grabs. Right? They belong to the one who has authority or dominion over these things. And so we see this act of naming then transmitted from God, transferred from God, given to Adam when he created him over the animal kingdom and over creation. In Genesis 1.28, it says to Adam and Eve, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then when that story is unpacked a little bit more, we're told that God brings all of the animals before Adam and whatever the man named every living creature, that was its name. God giving dominion to, it was God's dominion giving it to us. It's kind of remarkable when we think about something that we don't consider every day. God is sovereign throughout creation and we see that that in, in what he gave the name to. Look in verse 5. He gives the light the name day, and the darkness he calls night. The expanse he calls heaven or sky, depending on your translation in verse 8. In verse 10, he names the earth and the seas. It's interesting to note that all of these things, particularly in the time of Moses, were worshipped by pagans as pagan gods earth and sky and sea and night, light, day, darkness. These were all worshipped as powers in and to themselves. And so here in Genesis 1, we see these elements are not gods themselves to be worshipped, but were made and named by the one true God who created all things. And this was especially timely for the hearers of Moses' book when he wrote it. They were surrounded by mythological polytheism. And they needed to hear that God made all things. So God is sovereign, speaking everything into existence by his self-sufficient power and by naming things as they were, declaring his power over them. And then thirdly, by ordering or structuring all things according to his plan. We see order throughout Genesis. One of the ways that we see it, this building of the house, as I mentioned, these first 11 verses, the first three days of creation, this framing and building of the house to then next fill the house. You notice that in the framing of this, he provides the vegetation. 
before he creates the animals and, and, and humans that would need that for food. A third way that we see order is that he, he, he chose to do all of this through days. Bruce Waltke, a commentator, writes, The presentation of creation through days reveals God's sovereign ordering of creation and God's care to accommodate himself to humanity in finite and understandable terms. God did this for us. He gave order and structure for us to accommodate us because he's infinite. He doesn't need time. He doesn't need days. To him, a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. He did this for us. He didn't need time. But at least he chose to reveal to us all that he did according to this structure that we still follow this to this day so many millennia later. He does this so that we can understand his ways, so that we can understand him. Notice at the end of each day in verses 5 and 8 and 13, and there was evening and there was morning. He marked off time, setting the boundaries for how we would live even before the sun was set in place. If you wondered about that? We're going to get to that. On day four, he sets the sun in place. So how was their evening and morning on the first few days? God did not create the sun to create light. He simply created light, and it was present in a way that didn't require the sun or any other star. Does that sound familiar to you? Does that ring a bell? Do you have something that pops in your head and says, that's familiar, right? Revelation 22. At night, there will, or in night rather, will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Because Jesus himself is the light. So light doesn't exist because of the sun any more than light exists in this room because it has light bulbs. It exists because God made it. God is the source of all light, and we look forward to the day that he will be our light as we look backward to the day when he was the light, even before the sun was created. John Calvin writes, Therefore the Lord, by the very order of creation, bears witness that he holds in his hands the light, which he is able to impart to us without the sun and without the moon. He holds in his hand the light. So God established order over creation by marking off time according to days, time that was established by morning and evening, light and darkness, even before creating the sun and the moon. And so we can come today to God's word and see his sovereign, all-powerful hand in creation, in the creation of the whole world, the heavens and the earth, and all that is in it, including us. The people of God in the Old Testament needed this, just as we do today. They were in the midst of this, uh, again, this, this polytheism of, of everything was a God, everything was to be worshipped. And God was answering all of those claims that these powers and these things they were observing were God's, saying, no, 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 they're not God's. I'm God. I made it all. And just in the same way that God emphatically answered against these claims, he also answers against the false claims of our day. You and I also need this creation account as we swim against the current in our own culture that tries to suggest that there is no creator and there is no God and that we're somehow some cosmic accident of nothingness that resulted in somethingness 
that we all call our lives. God answers emphatically against these claims of our culture staying over and over again. And God said, let there be, and it was so. And God said, let there be, and it was so. It is God who created and set in order the house that is our universe. And he did it with a very specific purpose in mind. In 2 Corinthians 4, 6, we read, For God who said, Let the light shine out of the darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's where it's all leading. All of this was to bring Jesus and to put him on display as our Redeemer. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth so that one day he might come in the flesh to shine the knowledge of the glory of God for you and for me. He made everything to put on display the glory of his grace in saving his people. And so it's hard for us then. And so many of us may have the question, then how could God who created everything in perfection have let sin to enter into the world? We're going to look at that, but let me just suggest one reason why God let sin enter into the world. You know, we can't understand why until we see grace. We can't understand why sin would come into the world until we see grace. Until we see the prodigal's father ripping off his cloak and running like a crazy man to embrace the son who had squandered the inheritance, to pull the ring off his finger and to call for the feast. It's not until we see that kind of grace. It's not until we see the relentless goodness of the one who dies for those who were his enemies to save them from themselves. It's not until we see the confounding glory of love that causes the shepherd to leave the 99 and go after the one. And it's not until we see with the psalmist, the God who knows the depths of our hearts and loves us anyway, when he writes, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in before and behind and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. You see, the God who created it all, who holds all things together in his power, loves with a faithful, everlasting love to bring the hope of his grace to you and to me. The God who spoke everything into existence by his word upholds the universe by the word of his power, as Hebrews 1 says. The universe, your universe, your world, God is upholding you by the same word of power with which he spoke everything into existence. Your mess, your brokenness, your problems, your sin, everything he upholds by the word of his power. You, you, you can't break, do anything, break off of, away from Him, anything. Nothing can separate you from His love. Think of that. Everything by the word of His power. Second, the same God who named light and darkness, earth and sea, knows your name. The same God who named these very things knows who you are. Isaiah 43, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. He knows you and holds your life in His hands. And third, the same God who ordered the days of the week holds every day of your week 
in his hands. Psalm 139, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Every day of this week is held in his hand. The same God who created it all and spoke it all into existence holds your life. Trust him. Rest in him. Find the peace that passes all understanding in him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that, that the truth of your word would again penetrate our hearts, do the work that only you can do to strengthen us, that we might know with confidence that in Christ we are yours, that nothing can separate us from your love. I pray for anyone who does not know you, who is not by faith in Christ, that you would draw them to yourself today. I pray for those who know you, but don't feel that security, that they would see the wonder and the beauty and the awesomeness of the Creator God who made all things and spoke all things into existence by the word of your power, that you hold their very lives and that you would assure them of your salvation. Would you do that in hearts today? Strengthen our faith that we may trust you more and love you more and know you more as we go. In Jesus' name I pray.